0: Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the DealMaker Show. So today we're going to be learning from the operator side, from the investor side, you name it, because the guest that we have, he has been on every side of the table that you can think of. And I think that his experience building companies at scale is super impressive. So I guess without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Shoip Makani. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me.
1: It's great to be here, Alejandro.
0: So originally you grew up in Texas. So how was life there?
1: Yeah, I was um, uh, brought up in Texas, uh, in, in central Texas, a uh, fairly rural place initially, a town called Little River Academy. Uh, and then later my parents moved to uh, just outside Austin, uh, a place called Cedar Park. Um, it was a great way to grow
0: up. Uh, yeah. Great. And then, and then after this, you started to develop your love for math. So, so how did that happen?
1: Yeah. So for
0: the last two years of high
1: school, I went to the Texas Academy of Mathematics and Science. Uh, It was a two-year sort of residential boarding school. Imagine you take the 200 nerdiest kids in all of Texas and bring them together for junior and senior year of high school. Uh, And and, uh, it it was a great experience. I really, I I think, got to develop my interest in math and science um, and also uh, really deepen my appreciation for what it took to build um, products and, and companies.
0: And then from that you landed in NYU, which uh, resulted into transferring into LSE. So, so what what did this open up? Because you were used to being in Texas, then Austin, and and then all of a sudden you find yourself in in a place like New York City or London.
1: Yeah, g- going from you know fairly rural Texas to the middle of New York City at the age of eighteen is uh, a pretty incredible experience. Uh, and and I love New York. Uh, and and. But what I realized was I didn't need to study finance uh, to, to build something, to, to build a company. Uh, and and in fact, wanted a sort of more holistic understanding of the world. And so I tra- ended up transferring to uh, the London School of Economics, where I studied um, political economy, uh, government and economics. And it was a really interesting time, actually, to be in Europe. Um, this was early, mid-2000s. Uh, and you know Europe was adopting the euro. Uh, and there was intense debate. Uh, about the impact of common monetary policy and a uh, a a monetary union um, on a lot of very different economies um, so it was it was a great way to just uh, get an appreciation for uh the various economic and political models uh, that work in different parts of the world
0: so thinking about political models like what what did you learn about this because this is completely different from math and from finance and Obviously, it impacts, you know, the decisions, you know, finance and and all of that. But but what did you learn about that?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, I I think uh, really gaining an appreciation for the varieties of capitalism, uh, seeing how liberal market economies work, how coordinated market economies work, um, and and why, and and the institutions um, and the culture that was necessary to to drive success in those um, various uh, or varied uh, economic models. And and while it's not you know directly applicable to building a company, what I what I think it 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 gives you a better appreciation for how the world works um, and what motivates uh, individual actors.
0: And I would and I would assume as well that when you were there, most of your classmates went either to consulting or to banking or or things like that, where they give you like really interesting offers. But you decided to join Google, and we're talking about 2006, so. uh, so, how did that happen for you?
1: Yeah, you know, so so the natural path um, at schools like LSE or even NYU is very much um, down that finance and banking uh, path, um, and and that's something that I did consider. Uh, but sort of recognizing, you know, my end state was to build a company. I, I knew from very early on that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, I wanted to solve problems. Uh, I, I very intentionally chose the technology and, and uh, company path and and Google was the ideal place to be at that time uh, it, it was a company that uh, you know while had very meaningful success in its primary market uh, search uh, it was ambitious and aspiring to, to start many other adjacent businesses uh, and so for me it was an ideal platform you know you get the security of uh, an established business uh, that is still growing at an incredible rate um, but one that Uh, Is innovating in many different areas. Uh, And and the specific team that I joined, Google Checkout, was really a startup within Google. Uh, It was trying to build uh, a modern, uh, sort of universal shopping cart experience or checkout experience uh, across the web, which was a very ambitious idea at the time. Um, And and it didn't fully work in the way that it was intended, um, but it was a great lesson in what it takes to build a great product uh, at scale um, and then actually. You know, distribute that product uh, to both consumers as well as uh, to businesses at scale. Uh, it was both a uh, B two C and a B two B problem, uh, which was a, a really fascinating uh, experience to come out uh, of
0: college with. And some of those years, uh, you know, where you were there at Google was also the super high hyper growth uh, years as well. So, so what was what was like? I would say like the biggest learning that, or the biggest takeaway from from your time at Google.
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, w- what I really gained an appreciation for uh, what was the importance of a clearly articulated vision uh, that then translated into specific objectives uh, that individuals could attach themselves to. Um, you know, Google is run on an OKR system, uh, and, and every single team member uh, and every team uh, creates their objectives and key results that tie back to the... Um, company or team level goals. Uh, and, and that is a really important uh, process uh, b- because it, it gives everybody purpose. Um, and and I, I think that's one of the things that's really carried with me. Uh, you, you know, when, when every individual on a team knows that the work they do matters, uh, it it results in better outcomes.
0: And how, how do you, like, I guess from an appreciation perspective, because I guess i um, Employees love to be appreciated, right? And I guess either from Google or 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 your take on this as a whole, you know. And I guess from a building culture perspective, like like how do you make sure that people are appreciated? Yeah, you
1: know, I think recognizing uh, performance and recognizing success and wins, um, celebrating those, and, and both the individuals but also uh, the, the teams' results, uh, is, is so important. Um, I mean, th- there's nothing uh, that uh, th- there's, there's nothing that drives a, a culture more than growth. Um, and so when, when individuals are growing, uh, when the team is achieving its collective objectives, uh, you have to, uh, celebrate those moments. Um, and you have to recognize those individuals. Um, growth is growth is king.
0: Oh, I a hundred percent agree with that. You know, I, I've read a couple of, um, of articles recently where they said that it doesn't matter how many ski trips or, or retreats you do for the team that if the, if the metrics are not, not, not working out, you know, people are going to end up leaving.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, the, the best people uh, want to grow personally and professionally Uh, and, and, and it can be, you know, uh, growth can be delayed, um, but there always has to be the potential for growth. Uh, The things you're working on, you have to believe that they're going to result uh, in, in, uh, and an outcome uh, that they will change the trajectory of the business uh, and and you know great people are willing to tolerate uh, that period of investment um, for delayed return, but at some point there has to be a return
0: a hundred percent so then I guess after the um the experience here at Google, you made the decision to to move on uh, and you join AdMob. So what was that transition for you? like
1: yeah, I mean, you know I, I knew uh, I wanted to gain an appreciation for what really what earlier stage early stage company building was like uh, and you know if, if you think about through the, the trajectory of my career i started a google large company but still had um, was innovating uh, then wanted to go to a smaller company to see uh, what it takes to to build something from scratch and in AdMob, i joined you know um, at, at the middle stage uh, after the series b so it was already on its way um, but there was still a lot of work to be done uh, and, and what I got to see there was, how do you take a business that's working in one market and expand it to many markets uh, simultaneously in parallel? Uh, and, and so it got to be a part of the growth uh, that we undertook uh, internationally. So I uh, started the Latin America business for AdMob and then also scaled the India business.
0: And I see here, I mean, you you went to Latin America, India, Asia Pacific. So, so I guess you know, I'm sure that there's some people like listening to us that are thinking about also uh, doing their international expansion. So so what were some of the key learnings about doing an international expansion effectively?
1: Yeah. You know, so so number one, you have to pick the right markets. Um, you have to make sure that uh, you understand what your current capabilities are, what your product is, and how does that um, fit to the market need. Um, let's say the product is universal. It, it is relevant for all markets. Well, then you've got to Understand what is the market opportunity uh, and what is your ability to capture the opportunity uh, in any one of those geographies. Um, and so what we actually did at AdMob was uh, we sized uh, the Internet market, um, just sheer volume of users um, and traffic, because we were, well, we were an ad network. Um, we had inventory and we wanted to fill it. So, so we, we, we looked at where do we have inventory and then what is the demand for ad inventory in those markets? Uh, and, and based on sort of the expected value, uh, re- really the, the combination of where is available inventory and what is the yield, what is the potential yield on that inventory in those markets, we determined uh, what was the priority. Um, and, and some of them uh, were not obvious, uh, where there wasn't inventory today, but there was very high demand for uh, advertising, where there was uh, you know, a sophisticated ecosystem of advertisers who were looking for performance or looking for an audience. Uh, and so we we made some forward investments, uh, and then we also uh, prioritized those simply where we had inventory uh, and we knew we could monetize it purely because of the volume.
0: Got it. And one of the things that that happened is that it's interesting because you move on from Google, but you know the comp- you essentially you know it goes back to Google because Google acquired AdMob for seven hundred and fifty million. So so how was that experience? Yeah, I mean it, it was. Um,
1: I mean, it was pretty incredible, right? Getting to be a part of a growth story uh, and, and getting to see a business scale uh, and then, you know, ha- being recognized uh, for that, that success. Uh, we were, AdMob was the leader in mobile advertising uh, and the market was really at, you know, the precipice of incredible growth uh, and, and getting to have uh, a platform like Google to be able to uh, realize that and scale that and expand that uh, was amazing. Uh, And so, uh, yeah, we we returned or I I returned to to, uh, Google and and stayed for a year and uh, got to integrate the AdMob business into the broader Google Teams, uh, which was a great experience as well.
0: And I understand, I mean, the integrations, you know, most acquisitions fail because of integration. Integration is a beast. And, And my understanding is that Google has this unbelievable assembly line. Uh, in order to acquire and then to also integrate the business. So so what does that look like? I mean, wh- why are they so effective at this?
1: Yeah, I mean, when you think about Google's footprint, uh, it, it has product and engineering uh, as well as sales uh, and, and go-to-market in really every region in the world. Uh, and so uh, just given that, that our business was already international, we had publishers and ad inventory in every market, uh, and that was growing at an incredible rate. Uh, getting to essentially access and distribute that further uh, gain publishers through the Google uh, sales footprint, but then also um, plug into the ad engine and ad demand uh, that Google already had uh, was incredible. Um, It it was a perfect fit uh, in that sense. Uh, And and Google at this point was well equipped to introduce new products into its sales channel. It was already selling uh, AdWords, AdSense, YouTube, uh, DoubleClick. Uh, And so, uh, AdMob became another channel uh, for Google advertisers to be able to reach uh, an, an audience. Uh, and so it it, it immediately uh, drove a, a improved yield, uh, better performance for our publishers, which then uh, continued the flywheel.
0: And, and at this point is when you start thinking to yourself whether it makes sense to do an MBA or not. And Cosla Ventures comes along. How, how were you introduced to them?
1: Yeah, you know, it was, um, absolutely, uh, random, uh, by, by, by chance. I was uh, in Barcelona, uh, with some friends, uh, got introduced to, uh, in fact, a, a gentleman by the name of Rami Adib, who uh, was on his way out. Uh, he was starting a company. He was at Coastal at the time and he was on his way out. Uh, and he was like, Hey, you should uh, meet the team. And, uh, and so I did. Uh, and, uh, we, you know, after a few weeks of conversations, um, we decided. Uh, I decided to, to join Cosla.
0: So I guess now is uh, you've been used to the operator side um, to really understand, you know, how things are developed and, and execution, how execution looks like, especially at a hyper growth, and then also how. Transaction, transactions are done when you're like really uh, on the day to day. But now, what what did it look like being on the other side of the table? Where you know you're more like at a thirty thousand foot view and really more involved on strategy and on pattern recognition.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I think I very intentionally went into into venture uh, with the intention of of starting a company. Uh, you know, I I, I believe that uh, by seeing. A lot of different companies uh, and a lot of different teams. Uh, I would gain a filter uh, for what good opportunities look like, um, and and I think I came away with that. Uh, you know, I, I think really venture does give you a taste for for businesses uh, where growth can compound at a high rate for extended periods of time uh, in a relatively capital efficient way, uh, and and so what you start to recognize is what are the characteristics. Uh, of those businesses that have the potential for that high growth, that high compounding growth. Um, and, and so what I, what I sort of gained was, all right, market has to be big, um, either directly or through adjacent opportunities. Uh, and and the adjacencies have to actually be accessible. Uh, you know, you can't uh, start a, a company that's going to sell windshield wipers and then say, I'm going to build a car. Uh, there has to be uh, true accessibility uh, to those adjacencies. Um, and then, and then my personal, um, filter was, you know, product driven customer acquisition advantage uh, that, that incumbents can't replicate, um, you know, a, a, a truly durable advantage. Uh, and so, uh, or, or it has to be a new market, uh, that you believe can be big, uh, and that the early mover, uh, can sustain its advantage, uh, and pull ahead. And so, uh th- th- that that framework and that mental model for being able to evaluate uh arp- opportunities markets and teams uh really allowed me to actually apply that to the
0: companies uh, or the, the ideas that that I was pursuing and and I guess uh, to this point you said that you went in it with the intention of building your own business was there like a point in 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 time where you said I'm I'm going to do it. It's just a matter it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when.
1: Yeah, you know, it, I mean my my primary uh responsibility of course is, is to was to invest in companies and, and I, I did that um you know at, at various stages. Uh but but I was fairly thesis driven uh in in my outbound approach. Uh I, you know, I picked a few specific markets that I thought uh were uh big and uh where there was uh, gaps. Um or Uh, Markets that I thought could be big uh, and where there wasn't, um, uh, you know, that that hadn't been filled out. Uh, And so uh, uh, logistics happened to be one of those that I really took an interest in and went deep. Um, I I went and really evaluated all the consumer on demand uh, companies um, across ride sharing, delivery, food, um, and and made some investments there. And then kind of turned to the commercial side, uh, the movement of goods for businesses. Uh, and looked at sort of the full supply chain uh, there as well and and that 's where you know the the opportunity really uh, emerged uh, and i didn 't see anybody filling it i I was looking for companies that were essentially connecting supply uh, in over the road trucking uh, that to me was the big underserved opportunity uh, and I am a supply first marketplace guy I, I think if you can bring supply online in a disconnected disaggregated uh, market, uh, demand will come and when I looked at trucking, over-the-road trucking in North America, uh, it was, you know, deeply disconnected um, and and hyper-fragmented. The trucks, the drivers themselves were not online. Uh, And and I didn't see anybody uh, attempting to connect them uh, in in a meaningful way. And so uh, that's where that was enough for me to to gain conviction that uh, there was an opportunity here. Uh, The market was big. Uh, and I identified what what I believed was uh, really a unique go to market uh, and product led customer acquisition advantage uh, that could then give me access to the broader opportunity. It, it was a narrow entry point uh, into a much much bigger market uh, and one that uh, I thought we would have a fundamental advantage uh, in in uh, in executing on.
0: So then, what was the triggering event for you to to tell the Cosla guys, hey? you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pursue this and I'm going to go at it.
1: Yeah. It, I mean,
0: uh, I think it was, you, you know, you, you study a market,
1: uh, you research, uh, you start socializing it with others. Um, and, and once I had, uh, the sort of the foundation of a team that I uh, thought would, would be necessary to go in, and realize it. Um, and I, I, I personally had the conviction that, uh, we would be creating value. Um, I, I, I didn't. I didn't know if it was going to work, um, but I thought it was possible um, and and highly likely that our our entry point, our narrow entry point, which was, uh, and, and I, can, I can sort of elaborate on this. We, we thought we could uh, you know build a relationship with drivers uh, by solving a very specific problem around compliance uh, that they faced. Uh, and that drivers would self-adopt our product, once I had that that confidence, um, I knew that there was going to be some value that we'd create, uh, and then it would be a matter of how did we expand and, and extrapolate from there. Um, and so when, once we had that early conviction, uh, it, it was then, and, and, I, and I believed I could raise funds, I, I believed I could raise money, um, that was enough for me to say, all right, um, this is it. And what made you believe you could raise money? Uh, So, so one of the benefits of working in venture is you you do build a network. Uh, You 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 start to uh, meet investors who are looking for early stage opportunities, Uh, and 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 then you also really do gain an understanding of what it takes to to attract capital, Um, how to tell a story, Uh, and 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 it has to be a credible story. Uh, But but I I thought I had all of that: a big market, uh, a unique entry point, um, and a good team. And, and
0: so I, I, I really I really love that uh, Shui, when you say about the story and 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 I tend to agree with you that storytelling is everything, uh, especially as an entrepreneur because that's how you onboard investors, how you onboard customers, partners, and and even talent. Your your most important you know key people. No? So what does and especially with what you have learned with Cosla Ventures, what does storytelling at its best look like? Yeah, um,
1: I, I think I think you have to start with a view of what the world can be. You you have to have a a vision, uh, and and it has to be compelling and big, right? Uh, Investors and and venture investors aren't looking for uh, 3x, 5x returns, especially not in the early stages. Um, They're looking for the 100x. And so you you have to uh, either describe a market that is already big that you can take a piece of, an outsized piece of, uh, or one that uh, is emergent and, and that you have uh, the, the unique opportunity to actually expand. Uh, and so it has to start with that vision of what the world can be or will be. But then you have to be able to say, like, credibly present uh, the path to get there. Um, and, and, you know, no big company is started overnight. Uh, every company that got big started uh, with, a, with a fairly narrow entry point. Um, and so I think what you have to be able to tell is, Hey, there's this big vision and the way I'm actually going about this, the, the, the my step one gets me in the door, uh, and, and gives me the potential, uh, to realize the vision. Uh, and, and that step one has to be believable and practical. Uh, and, and, and you have to be the right individual or right team, uh, to be able to, to actually uh, de-risk step one, uh, and so I, I think being able to, to to tell that story and how you're the right fit uh, for for the step one and for the uh, extrapolation, realizing the potential, um, that
0: that's what compels investors. So I guess I guess putting this into perspective, how did you use the? Um, because obviously you had the idea you. We're looking at the market and, and, and you saw it from all the different aspects. I mean, you invested in, in companies like uh, Instacart, Indiegogo, Everlane. So, I mean, you, you really understood the, you know, what you were about to get into. So how were you able to, first and foremost, identify your uh, members of the founding team? And, and how did you convince them to join
1: you? Yeah, um, well, so, so I'll start with Obeyed. Uh, so, Obeyed Khan, my my co-founder and head of operations, uh, he uh, he actually was on a very different path. Uh, he was thinking about going to law school. He had been working in um, policy in, in D.C. Uh, and you know, I, I I actually very early on uh, was like, hey, this is an interesting market, um, trucking logistics. I think I I have an angle here. Um, I want you to help me validate it. Uh, and and you know. <laughs> I had the good fortune of finding him when he didn't have a job, uh, and so he he actually kind of just uh, ran with it. Uh, he started hanging out at truck stops, uh, calling up uh, brokers and carriers, uh, and just really validated the hypothesis. Uh, and, and it, it was great to have someone who could do that uh, full time um, because I couldn't at the time. And so uh, he really ran with it um, and and gave me and us the confidence that uh, there was something here. Uh, and then, uh, my, my co-founding CTO, Ryan Johns, um, he, he actually, uh, I, I, I knew him socially. Um, he was a, a good friend, uh, and he had actually been trying to, you know, build a company and, and I had talked to him when, as an investor, um, you know, to potentially say, oh, like, what, what are you working on? Um, you know, could we potentially fund it? Uh, and he ended up uh, not moving forward with the, with the project he was working on at the time. Uh, and when I zeroed in on, hey, this is the right opportunity, I, w- I went to him and said, hey, is this something that you would be interested in, in, in collaborating on? Uh, and and so it was really the good fortune of of finding uh, both Obaid and Ryan uh, at, at the right time uh, for them individually, uh, but them also being the perfect complements uh, and in the right, you know, sort of founding team uh, that was, uh, I, I'd say, really really complementary. Um but also super cohesive, uh, we got along. We were incredibly patient with each other, uh, and we believed in each other uh, in a way that uh, is absolutely necessary uh, if you're going to you know embark on a multi year journey um, to to solve a really hard problem. Of course, and what were the early days like? Uh, they were a grind. <laughs> you know we uh, we got started in like June two thousand and thirteen in earnest uh, and and recruited uh, you know, a, a, about five other people, um, to our founding team. Um, it was eight founding team members, actually seven of which are are still at the company, uh, six years later. Uh, and, and, and we, uh, really set a very specific and clear vision of what uh, we wanted to do. And we didn't get distracted. Uh, and, and it was actually pretty uncomfortable because we didn't generate revenue for really the first three and a half years of the company. Uh, we we took the view uh, that we wanted to connect supply. We wanted to connect drivers. Uh, and the way we were going to do that was through this compliance requirement. Uh, and, and so so just to be elaborate on that a little bit more, um, if you drive long haul in North America, you have to keep a record of what you've done. Uh, there's rules that dictate how many hours you can drive consecutively or in a day or in a week. Um, and And drivers have to create a log form. It's essentially a 24-hour grid. There's a page for each day. Uh, and essentially you have to document that I was on duty, off duty, driving. Uh, and so uh, this paper-based workflow uh, was the standard uh, at that time. Uh, and, and you know, that was what we were solving. We, we thought if we can go and create a better experience uh, for logs and translate that paper experience into uh, a, a mobile application, um, our, our bet was that drivers would self-adopt it and they'd tell each other about it and they'd actually bring us into their companies. Uh, and we gave it away, and, and you know I, I had seen bottoms-up adoption work uh, in in the enterprise uh, as an investor, Expensify, uh, Dropbox, Yammer, uh, and and I, I believed it could work here as well. Uh, and so we, we we stayed super focused on that specific problem, uh, building a free service for drivers and a complementary uh, web application for uh, fleet managers and safety managers uh, to be able to view their drivers' logs, communicate with their drivers. Um, and, and essentially digitize these otherwise paper-based workflows, uh, and and we, we took the long view. We, we thought we will monetize this, um, but right now we want not, we want to put nothing in the way of adoption, uh, and and so we gave it away, uh, and and you know got hundreds of thousands of drivers using it in the first few years, which you know gave us the confidence um, that, that we were building value, uh, even though we weren't generating revenue, we weren't capturing much value, but we were definitely creating it, uh, and so. Uh, and and it, i'll say we got to hundreds of thousands of drivers using the free application but it took time for the first year um we're talking about few thousand but we, we saw uh that there was uh, driver our users loved it uh, and even though the numbers weren't there um the 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 anecdotal um and and the qualitative uh, data was was very clear that that there was something here uh, and and we we stayed focused on it um and, and didn't let uh, any of these sort of distractions, uh, you know, depart from our vision.
0: And, you know, it's it's very interesting that you touch on this point, because, you know, now we have probably listeners that are uh, joining from all over the world. And and the mentality and the mindset on, on how you build a business or how you invest in businesses, I think is probably different from the U.S. than what you would see, let's say, in a place like Europe or let's say Latin America, where it's a little bit more revenue uh, geared. So, so how do you think about or or how or how did you develop this mindset? Let's say you know starting from from Cosla on growth versus profit as you were thinking about building a business. Yeah,
1: I mean, look, you, you have to uh, have the potential for profit uh, ultimately. I mean, that that's what businesses thrive on: um, compounded revenue growth and eventually earnings. Uh, and, and so we, we weren't building this. You know, with no sight toward monetization, Um, we believe that uh, this audience was highly valuable, uh, and that uh, we were very close to revenue when we were ready for it, uh, and when our customers were ready for it, and when our users were ready for it. Um, And and, and we architected the company uh, to be able to survive that period of no revenue. Um, You know, I, I raised a fairly sizable seed round, and we kept the team incredibly lean. Um, we, we, didn't really raise our a for another three years after that. Um, and, and so, so we made sure that, uh, the decisions we made, um, and, uh, the money we spent aligned with our revenue plan, uh, and, and, and our growth goals. And so, but, but, you know, ultimately, yeah, you have to make money. Um, and, and that's where, uh, we, we knew that, that we had a upsell, um, that we would generate revenue from our audience uh, and then, um, you know, recruited the team. We, we actually had to build hardware because we have we are a hardware-enabled um, SaaS company. Uh, we, we had to build a team and a competency in hardware um, to be able to then uh, drive revenue growth. Um, but in the meantime, continued to expand our install base, our user base, um, and demonstrated to investors uh, that uh, the value... Uh, was there the, the the potential to capture value uh, was was
0: clear? Got it. So for the people that are listening, just so that they really get a grasp on it, what what essentially became the business model of Keep Trucking?
1: Yeah. So so w- what we do is uh, we essentially um, sell software enabled um, premium services or hardware enabled premium services. Sorry. Um, So uh, we we go in and drivers use our free application, Uh, fleet managers uh, use our web application uh, to manage compliance, to communicate with their drivers, track their location. Uh, And then uh, we have uh, hardware that we design and develop uh, that brings the truck online and brings the vehicle online. So you essentially install our hardware uh, into the diagnostic interface uh, of the vehicle uh, and uh, it's essentially a, a Linux, an embedded Linux computer that attaches to the vehicle, uh, and it records uh, all the data off the vehicle network. Um, you know, how is this vehicle operating? How fast is it going? Um, is it safe to operate? Uh, and then we've got a number of sensors in the, in the device itself, uh, which help us understand what the environment of that vehicle is. Uh, and so uh, th- that enables, uh, you know, premium telematics offerings, uh, premium compliance offerings uh, for our customers uh, and then more recently, we've introduced uh, a dash cam. Uh, so you can connect uh, a video camera into our vehicle gateway to get uh, real-time critical event video. Uh, you can recall video and say what happened you know, two days ago uh, at this stop. If there's an accident, you know exactly what took place. Uh, and then uh, here in the next month or so, we're going to be introducing our asset gateway, which is essentially uh, a, a device that lets you monitor any asset, any type of equipment, whether it's a trailer or construction equipment. Um, or, or anything that, uh, that 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 you own and operate, um, and so what really what what we've uh, expanded into is a, a IoT sensor platform uh, for commercial vehicles and commercial equipment, uh, so that you, as a company, as as an operator, as a safety manager, as a fleet manager, know exactly what's happening uh, with your drivers, your vehicles, uh, and your 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 assets, uh, no matter where they operate. Uh, and, and we started in trucking because that was our entry point. Um, but today we, we service all types of commercial vehicle fleets. Um, but importantly, we're, we're, we're a hardware enabled SaaS business, um, for commercial vehicles. Um, but we're also building a freight marketplace, uh, that allows anyone to access our network of, of trucks, uh, because we have more for hire connected trucks in North America than anyone.
0: Got it. and, and, so it, 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 it's a unique
1: sort of combination of a SaaS business plus a marketplace business, uh, which, it, it, you know, you don't see too often.
0: Very cool. And for this, how much capital have you guys raised uh, to date?
1: Yeah, we've raised around $230 million of, of capital.
0: Very cool. And also, I heard that you guys also passed the billion-dollar valuation. So that's, uh, that's pretty, pretty amazing. So, so I wanted to ask you here, uh, when you went at it, uh, and and obviously you guys raised the money fairly quickly. I mean, you started the business, and then it seems that the the first year, you know, you you just got the the round right away. But when you were thinking about the fundraising process, I mean, I, I always tell founders that they need to think about not the round that they're raising today, but the round that they're gonna raise, a, you know, at a later date, because the way that they raise now is going to impact the next round. So were you already like before raising your first round? Did you already like model out like the different rounds or like the potential financing milestones that you were going to have to encounter down the line?
1: Uh, Yeah, you definitely have to um, anticipate your capital requirements. um, And and that informs uh, your hiring, um, your revenue goals, um, you know, how you actually make bets. Um, I mean, but but it's not you can't overengineer it um you know th- th- these things are are very fluid um it, it's almost uh, impossible to uh, to you know project uh, exactly where you're going to be in a year or two years um you know entrepreneurship is is not a straight line um and so yeah. but 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 it is important to plan um and, and 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 then to make investments against that plan um but also uh, be able to adjust course uh either when things are working better than you expected uh, or um less well than you expected. Uh and we had to do that along the way. I mean there, there was times when uh we were behind plan uh, and and we actually had to, you know, reduce the team size and extend our runway. It was difficult decisions um but ones that uh you, you have to make to give yourself a chance. Uh because you know m- most companies they, they they don't uh lose to others. Uh it's not they get beat by competitors uh, they generally lose to themselves. Uh, either they run out of money, um, they don't build the right things, um, or, or they just don't give themselves enough time uh, to realize the vision or for the market to come around. Uh, and so, being able to plan ahead and anticipate your capital requirements is important. Um, but it also, uh, I think more important is having uh, the ability to like to, to understand where you are in real time, uh, in the moment, um, and. Uh, Where you need to get to that next milestone, uh, and being able to then adjust course uh, and and either add resource or remove resource um, to be able to to give yourself a shot.
0: And you know, it's interesting what you just mentioned that uh, you know you guys had to scale down a little bit the team. And what some of the the best founders that I've met are those that are able to also make the um, the the decisions, uh, difficult decisions during difficult moments. So, for example, like from 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 your own experience, I mean, it's same. It's really tough to really detach yourself emotionally, you know, when you go through a moment like that. So, so how do you do it to to really become effective?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say it's easily the hardest decision you'll ever make as an entrepreneur um, is having to let people go, um, and uh, you know, but 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 then, but but what you have to sort of rationalize is I'm doing this so that everyone else has a chance so that we have a chance. Um, and, and if we have a chance and we believe that we're building something of value, um, we'll actually grow out of this. Um, and, and in fact, in our case, um, you know, we, we had to uh, reduce our cost, extend our runway. This was early on. Um, and, and once we broke through because, because we absolutely knew that this market was going to come around, um, and that we were creating value. Uh, we actually ended up hiring back, um, multiple people that we had uh, let go and, and, and they wanted to come back uh, b- because we did uh, we, we did it in the right way.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I 100% agree with you that, you know, during those times, you know, it, it is what it is. And it's either you make the decision or the entire boat is going to sink. You just need to get rid of you, you need to cover the holes, unfortunately. But but I think that it's all about the delivery of the message, not the message itself. And if the delivery has integrity and transparency, you know, like people people are not going to, you know, be, be have any type of, of thing against you or the business, because the memory is going to be a positive one at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, and I always say, you know, it's not just about the what, it's the why. Uh, and, and that applies to really every communication. Uh, you know, when, when you give people uh, an understanding of, why you're making the decisions you are why we're doing the things we are um both positive and negative um it, it, it the, the context then uh, uh, you know helps them uh, understand their place um and and why their work matters uh, and why these decisions are being made um and and, and it, it results in absolutely better outcomes um uh, yeah
0: and and going back to the fundraising, I mean, you guys have onboarded amazing investors. So uh, obviously, Index Ventures, Google Ventures, institutional venture partners, scale venture partners are really really great uh, investors. And you know, for you being an insider, someone that knew really the dynamics and the people, and and more more importantly than that, the the quality of people, because I find that. At the end of the day, it's all a matter of really having an understanding on how people are going to behave when you are on the other side of the mountain, because people can be very nasty and very ugly during those times, rather than on the good times when you're dating. You know, everything is beautiful and everyone is happy. But I guess the um, that from your perspective, what was the absolute must that you were requiring on people in order for them to become investors in Keep Trucking?
1: Yeah, um, y- you know, I, I had the experience of seeing what different types of investors, um, look like and how they behaved, um, you know, having been a VC and having been on boards. Uh, and so I, I knew, uh, the profile, um, and, and sort of the, the behaviors that, uh, were desirable, um, the, the type of people uh, who I wanted to work with. Uh, and, and so, when you have the ability to choose your investors, when you have multiple options, uh, you're always going those, to gravitate to those who sort of align with your own uh, philosophy. Uh, and so uh, what I look for is um, you know, in, investors who uh, believe in your vision. Um, it can't be um, that they believe in some augmented version of your vision um, or, or their own, and, and they want you to realize theirs. Um, they have to believe in your vision. Um, they have to defer to the founders. Uh, it, it is so important, um, that, uh, y- you work with investors, uh, who, who believe in you, um, and, and realize and recognize that you're the one that's day to day in the business, uh, and that you're the one that's, that, that, ultimately, um, has to live with the decisions. Uh, and so, um, you know, I, I, I absolutely, uh, believe investors should be deferential toward, um, uh, founding teams, uh, and, 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 management teams in general, uh, and so, so that that's a really important quality um but but then also investors who who push um, and and uh, you know encourage us to to be our best. Um, don't let us tolerate um, mistakes or, or 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 let mistakes persist. Uh, and, and so I, I think it's the the right balance of belief in the vision and deference to the team, um, but also uh, you know candid feedback uh, and uh, you know, it, it delivered in a way that uh, helps you understand w- what, what the alternative looks like, um, what other companies do um, bringing that broader context, uh, I think makes uh, the entrepreneur better because we're really narrowly focused on our business. We're heads down uh, and, and it, it is helpful to actually uh, gain that broader context. Uh, and, and, in and, and a great investor actually can help deliver that uh, in a very productive way.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So, so for the folks that are listening to really get an understanding on the uh, scale of of what you guys are doing today, how 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 big is the operation of Keep Trucking? Yeah, we're um, about twelve
1: hundred people globally, um, and uh, you know, distributed across uh, multiple geographies. Um, we on on our R and D side, we're about two hundred engineers uh, across hardware and software. Uh, we have a very substantial. Uh, sort of go-to-market footprint because we sell to small companies, uh, small businesses, and uh, and and fleets, uh, and so we have you know many hundreds of sales reps uh, and support reps, um, and then a significant uh, operations team uh, to tool the business and and make sure that uh, it can run at scale.
0: Very cool, very cool. And one question that I typically ask the guests that I have on the show is, if you had the opportunity to to go back in time. Uh, and and have a chat with your younger self before, let's say, starting. Keep tracking, and you were able to say to to tell yourself one one piece of business advice. What would that be, and why?
1: Ah, that's a that's a good one. Um, yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> I, I I think
1: if I were to start another company, uh, today, I would make talent acquisition recruiting um a part of the founding team. Uh, And and that sounds crazy, but, you know, the the biggest constraint uh, on our business has uh, been the ability to recruit great people, Uh, because once you have uh, product market fit, uh, a distribution advantage, uh, and a a very large market, um, the only thing that really conditions your your potential uh, is great people to execute. Uh, and that that applies across product and engineering, sales, ops, um, marketing, um, and and so it really being able to uh, attract and 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 not even attract, but go and, and pursue great talent um, efficiently, uh, really was a, a limiting factor for us. Uh, and 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 I, I wish I had solved it sooner.
0: So would that so for example, as you were saying, just to follow up on this building, so bringing someone into the founding team that could help on this front would it be someone that has a background in hr or someone that has a really a, a super big a network to tap a, a from or or what would that look like just out of curiosity
1: yeah i mean the, the generally it's like you know you run out of network driven uh, recruiting uh, fairly quickly uh, r- referrals uh, obviously are, are matter at scale i mean you know more than half our uh, hires, I believe are, are referrals at this point. Um, but, but no, it, it's, um, it, it's just someone whose, whose only job it is uh, to identify what our gaps are. Um, and, and, and you know, we, we know what our gaps are. We, we know what uh, the biggest problems in the business are from a <clears throat> resourcing perspective, but, but someone who can then go and make it their only and sole focus, uh, to go and fill those gaps. Uh, because you know, when, when, when you're eight, 10, 12 people, um, everybody is consumed in their specific problem. Uh, and they don't have time or energy to go and solve other problems, to fill other gaps. Uh, and, 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 and that's where having someone whose full-time job it is to do that early, uh, it just lets you grow faster and get better people. Uh, and, and, and that's something that I think we were late on. Uh, and, and, and I, th- I think it's, uh, again, as soon as you have that confidence that this is going to work, uh, it's, it's absolutely important to to double down,
0: got it, got it. so uh that's very powerful by the way. So for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi?
1: yeah, um I'm happy to uh, connect with anyone who's interested uh, in in learning about what we do and uh and or, or you know interested in entrepreneurship in general. Uh, they can reach me uh, on LinkedIn
0: uh, or on Twitter at s Makani. amazing well, Shoy, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today.